Titus chapter 1, I'll give you a, um, sort of a heads up on, on where we're going the next several weeks. Um, we are starting today, as you know, I mean, we're getting ready to, to enter the process of electing our first uh, officers here at, at Grace Covenant Church. Um, we will, um, nomination period starts in a couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be open for a, a couple of two or three weeks and then um, we'll start training and then that process that more about that in the congregational meeting next week. Um, but as we do that, as we head that way, it seems right and fitting to take several weeks and, and preach through what that even means. Uh, what are elders? What are deacons? Um, and so for the next uh, five to seven weeks, uh, we will be uh, preaching through uh, basically the, the offices in the church uh, and then a couple of other things I think tagged on uh, to the end as well that not really officer specific, but still um, connected with the whole uh, concept. So that's where we're headed for the next several weeks. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. While you're there, let me go ahead and just tell you right now, um, you may want to uh, put a finger um, or something at 1 Timothy 3 because we'll, we'll flip back there um, at some point as well. Uh, we have the, the qualifications for the office of elder in both of those uh, places. So um, you may want to keep that handy as well. If you're able, uh, let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the little Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray Oh, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, uh, that uh, even we would come to this text longing to be shaped by it, even if we aren't elders or aren't going to be elders. Uh, your word is profitable to all of us. And so we pray that you would be at work in it and through it even now. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, somebody that owns his own business. Uh, so he's, he's used to managing people. He's used to sort of having the big picture. Uh, maybe we should make him an elder. Uh, somebody who's a lawyer, so they know how to speak well. They're constantly talking in front of people and know how to use words to, uh, to their advantage, to, to speak clearly, to get their point across. Maybe we should make him an elder, uh, the, the CEO of the company, 
um, a, a manager. I mean, you know, let's face it. Elders are really just CEOs of the church. And let's just take the CEO of the company and let's make them an elder. Uh, he manages people well. He's run meetings well. He gives a bunch of money to the church. Um, let's make him an elder. I trust that over the last several weeks as we've talked about this day coming uh, when we would elect elders, when we started laying out a schedule for how this is going to uh, play out, how this is going to go, going to work over the next several weeks and months, I trust that you have, well, surely long before then, but certainly now, you actually are thinking about what does it mean to be an elder? What am I looking for? If I get to participate in nominating men to serve as the first elders of Grace Covenant Church, what criteria, what are the check boxes I'm looking for as I prepare to nominate men? The good news is, as we've just read, Scripture doesn't leave you wondering. Uh, the Bible doesn't leave you to figure out at your best guess what uh, qualifies someone to be an elder in the church. Now, the Scripture gives us very clear qualifications here in Titus 1, back in 1 Timothy 3. There are other places where you can see connections as well. The Bible answers the questions that I trust, I hope you're asking. If you haven't been asking them, now would be a good time to start asking those questions. And as you read through the passage, you notice that our default tendency is to use very different criteria from this passage. You and I, our default tendency is going to be... Um, what, how, what is he competent in? What are his competencies? What can he do? Uh, how, how, how good is he at doing these things? That's not the focus of the passage. The focus of the passage, and I, and I, I trust, because I know, I know you read the bulletin so clearly. I, I trust you noticed the sermon title. It's what an elder is not what an elder does. Because that's the focus of the passage, both here and in First Timothy 3. It has a lot more to do with character. It has a lot more to do with what a man is like than what he's good at, than what he's competent in. And so, first of all, an elder is sincere in his personal life. Look at verses 6 and 7. Twice, you get this phrase, almost like a, a bookend around uh, some other qualifications. In verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. And then in verse 7, uh, as God's steward must be above reproach. The reality is that phrase, that qualification, in many ways summarizes all of the others. That that. If he's above reproach, then all these other qualifications sort of fall under that. 
It's someone uh, against whom there really is no, there's, there's no accusation that will stand. There's no, there's no dart. There's no arrow that's going to stick. There's no serious, scandalous sin that can be charged against him. Does it mean you're looking for someone sinless? No. Because who wrote Titus? The Apostle Paul. An apostle, right? That's, that's sort of super elder in many ways. But who also called himself the chief of sinners. You're not looking for someone sinless. There's, there's no sinless elder out there apart from Christ. So above reproach doesn't mean that you're looking for someone who never does anything wrong, who's perfect, but you're looking for someone whose heart and conduct match. There are no glaring areas of, of sin in their lives that, that might bring shame on the name of Christ if everything became public. That's above reproach. And the, the rest of the qualifications are all just sort of particular examples of what it means to be above reproach. Ways in which the name of Christ might be dragged through the mud if a church leader uh, was not above reproach. Look at verse 7. To be qualified to be an elder, a man should not be arrogant or quick-tempered or violent or greedy, not a drunkard, self-controlled, verse 8, upright, holy, disciplined. In other words, you're looking for someone who is not mastered by his emotions, but who has some mastery over them, who is mastered by the Spirit, mastered by Christ, who's ruled by God's Word through the work of the Spirit rather than his own emotions and his own personality. You, you can see the connections between these adjectives, right? I mean, think of the number of times a drunkard becomes violent. Those two things are frequently close together. You frequently find them in the same place, in the same person. But you're looking for a man who remains in control of his passions, who remains in control of his desires. Rather than being a, a slave to alcohol or money, uh, greedy for gain, uh, or whatever in verse 7, he's master over those things. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. He's not looking out for his own self-interest. He's not out to promote himself rather than promoting Christ. picture of someone who has control over material desires. He's, he's not given over to a, an inordinate love for the things of this world. He's not quick to quarrel. He's not quick to argue. He's not quick to demand his own way. He's not quick to, to pick a fight with somebody and to, to jump into a battle if he can. You know, there'll always be people who think that because they can win an argument 
they should be leaders in the church. Uh, but notice what Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the arguers. No, wait. Blessed are those who are good at winning an argument. Blessed are those who can debate everybody else under the table. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. But notice too that in the midst of this list, right in verse 8, there's a, there's a word. And this may be um, as much ability as it is character. This is one of maybe two places where ability and character seem to sort of uh, collide. But an elder is to be hospitable. Somebody who's warm and inviting and welcoming and opens their home for strangers. Their, their home is a place for, for ministry and to meet the needs of other people. You know, this was particularly an issue in Paul and Titus' day in, in the first century when travel, especially for, for new converts, for Christians in a Roman world, would have been dangerous and so Christians would open their home to travelers and allow them a safe place to eat and rest before moving on. Notice, though, that the elder is hospitable. It means he has a warm heart, even if he doesn't have a large home. It's not the biggest house, therefore that is hospitable. It's the warmest heart that is hospitality, that, that opens up to other people, that wants to show the love of Christ to others. In fact, Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 adds to this list that these things should be true both inside and outside the church. That an elder should actually have a good reputation among those outside of the body of Christ. I've actually known a church that created a questionnaire that they would send to an elder nominee's co-workers to gather what, is, what does the office say about him? Is he different there at work than he is here when he's here with us? An elder is sincere in his personal life. But an elder should also be stable in his family life Notice verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. He's wholeheartedly committed to one woman and to one woman only. Regardless of whether or not he's actually married. You go, well, wait a minute, hold on. The husband of one wife means that in order to be an elder, you actually have to be married. I don't think that's what the passage means. You can be committed to one woman and never having been married. You can, you can be sexually pure as a single and never have been married and still qualify as the husband of one wife, as a one-woman man. That, by the way, is actually what's written here. The cultural question asks this. What about women? You keep talking like we're going to nominate men. Are we not nominating women to be elders? No, we're not. And here's why. The language of the passage 
won't let us. The passage literally, it's not literally the husband of one wife. It's literally of one woman, a man. You go, well, hold on, wait a second. Because the word man could mean mankind. It could mean people. It could mean all sorts of people. That's true if Paul had used that word, but that's not the word he used. You know, I've, I think I've said this before. I've never, I've never been to a gynecologist. I don't need a gynecologist. The root word of gynecologist is the Greek word for woman here. It can only mean woman. And the word for man is the word for male, man, can only mean man. It's not the generic anthropology word, anthropos. It's not the generic mankind word that you and I know. And so literally Paul says one of the qualifications for the office of elder is to be of one woman a man. And so we will follow the command of God in that particular cultural issue that is a big deal and for which people might actually look at us funny. The reality is you'd have an easier time arguing that an elder has to be married than arguing that a woman could be an elder. That's a far more difficult difficult argument to make in this passage. So he's stable in his family life. The of one woman a man. A one woman man an elder must be. But then he also must, verse 6, be able to manage his own household well. Notice the way his children are described in verse 6. His children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Turn with me back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me make this connection for you. I've actually done this before uh, at least once, maybe twice, but we're going to do it again. First uh, Timothy 3 verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Notice that in Timothy, the requirement isn't that your children be believers. It sounds like that in Titus, but that's clearly not present in 1 Timothy 3. In Titus, the word isn't so much that they have to be believers, they have to be converted. It's that they're faithful. And so the question is, are they faithful to the parents? Are they faithful to their father? Or are they faithful in the sense of converted and following Christ? And consistency says that they should be faithful to their father. There's not the requirement that the children of these men have to all be Christians. The reality is, both contexts, the emphasis is on the father being able to to manage his household well. Benjamin Morgan Palmer, who was a pastor in the the middle 1800s in in, uh, my home church, First Pres in Columbia, and then in New Orleans, uh, wrote a book on the family. And in it, he describes uh, the family as a little church. 
So in many ways, you come to church on Sundays and, and yes, we're one big church, but, but almost every row is filled with little churches that will be little churches throughout the week until we come back together again on the next Lord's Day. And Scripture says that a shepherd in the local congregation must first be so in the more local congregation, his own household. How can he expect to care for the church when the church under his own roof won't pay attention to him? It's a question then of you come home, you say, honey, kids, you're sitting around the dinner table. Guess what? I've been nominated to be an elder at Grace Covenant Church. Would their reaction be, well, yeah. Or what? That, that's the question. That's the, the debate here. But notice too, back in 1 Timothy 3, Paul makes a change. Turn, turn back to 1 Timothy 3. Paul changes a word in verse 5. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, notice when it comes to the church, he loses the word manage and changes to care. If he can't manage his own household, how will he care for the church? You're already getting a glimpse that the office of elder is not primarily a management office, but a shepherding and caring office. An elder cares for the church. He's the spiritual caregiver for the flock. An elder is sincere in his personal life, stable in his family life. And then lastly, an elder is sound in his doctrinal life. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of Titus 1. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Notice there are basically sort of three parts of that verse. He believes the truth of Scripture. And with it, he can teach others. He can instruct believers or unbelievers for that matter. And he can rebuke false teachers. He can rebuke false teaching. He can correct that which is untrue. And here you finally get to a competency. You finally get to something, an ability, to something the elder can actually do. Everything else has been character. And finally you get an ability in this potential elder. Does he hold firmly to the Word as it's taught? For us at Grace Covenant, in, as, as members of the PCA in our denomination, that means agreeing with our publicly stated uh, doctrinal standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the catechisms. It doesn't mean a seminary degree. It doesn't mean knows Greek and Hebrew. It doesn't mean knows nuances of this and that and the other thing. It means, does he know, love, is he committed to the Word of God? Does he believe it and embrace it wholeheartedly? And can he, can he instruct and rebuke? 
Can He teach God's people? Can He walk with them to deepen their understanding and their love for Christ and for His Word? Can He correct faults? Can He correct errors in church members and, for that matter, outside of it? When you want to know, when you need to know, the truth of God's Word and how it applies in difficult situations in marriage, in work, in parenting, in whatever difficult scenario you face. You should be able to go to an elder and get solid biblical truth and wisdom. An elder is sincere in his personal life, stable in his family life, and he's sound in his doctrinal life. Let me make... Uh, I think it's like five applications from this passage. First and foremost, let me make this observation. There would be a temptation among us, especially women who, you know, when you, you hear we're not nominating women to elders, it might be at that point you sort of shut down. This doesn't really apply to me. Or you're young and I'm not really going to be an elder yet. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. It would be really tempting to go, this doesn't mean anything for me because this passage applies to elders. I want you to notice something. As you read through Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, that should all be true. Of every believer. Every Christian should be above reproach. Every Christian husband should be a one woman man. Every Christian husband should be able to, to teach and instruct in, in God's. Every body should be able to, should not be a drunkard, should not be violent, should not be seeking greedy gain. The reality is. This is our target for all of us. This is what sanctification looks like. This is what spiritual growth looks like in the life of a believer. Am I more and more mastered by Christ, His Word, and His Holy Spirit than I am by my desires, my passions, and the things of this world? This is a goal for every one of us. A second application uh, if you're a member of Grace Covenant Church, um, these are the kinds of men you're looking for. As we enter into this nomination period, start nominating, training, and electing men to be elders uh, and perhaps deacons, these are the kinds of men you're looking for. Men who are mastered by Christ and not by the world, the flesh, and the devil. A third application uh, if you're a man and considering the possibility of that you might be an elder, uh, there's First Timothy 3 says that you may desire the office, and that's certainly reasonable. And you're thinking, maybe, maybe I'll be an elder at Grace Covenant. Then for other people to recognize these character traits in you, you have to be where they are. You should be participating in the life of Grace Covenant Church at every opportunity so that people actually have the the right, the time, the ability to evaluate your character. A fourth application that really is just a tangent, but I feel like I've got to make it um, because it's connected to that last uh, application. You will hear in our world today, don't judge. The Bible says, don't judge. 
So who are you to say anything negative about someone else who claims to be a Christian? You can't judge. Your Bible says you can't. Notice this passage actually requires you to. It's a misuse of the command not to judge to say you can't, you're not allowed to pass any judgment at all. You're not to make any evaluative statement about anyone's walk with Christ. That's not what the passage means in Matthew 7. These qualifications require us to evaluate, to make value judgments, character judgments about other people. We absolutely have the responsibility to evaluate whether or not our lives and the lives of our potential elders are consistent with Scripture. Lastly, let me make this final application. Every elder you ever had or will have will fail you. Just know that right now. Every elder you've ever had or ever known will fail you. Except one. The only perfect true shepherd of the church. The one in whom all of these things are absolutely true in every single way to the nth degree. Christ came and took on flesh. Why? Because He's a one-woman man. Committed to His bride, the church. He's the only elder, the only shepherd that will never, ever let you down. That will never, ever fail you. The only one in whom there is no sin, there's absolutely nothing, there's no finger, there's no I mean, there's this glaring issue in your life that that doesn't exist. He's the true, perfect shepherd. The only true and perfect shepherd who's been completely controlled by the Word and by the Spirit and not by His own sinful passions. The same Word that establishes the qualifications for the office of elder also points you to a Savior who's redeemed you from these very sins through His own loving care for sinners. And the beauty is, we have that set on the table before us now. Proof that as the perfect, the model elder, He would lay down His life for the good of the church. His bride. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your faithfulness to take on flesh, to live for us, to live under the law, to remain sinless, to love and care for the church in all its spots and blemish and wrinkle and sin, to be wholeheartedly committed, a one-woman man, 
that You would even go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die for us, the church, for that bride. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would be the one true elder that we need. The one true elder to whom we would run faithfully. And that You would raise up men to serve in that office here at Grace Covenant as our first elders. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.